Hi, and welcome to Fido, an audio adventure into fantasy, folklore, and fairy tales. I'm John, your host, and thanks for dropping in. Here we are on episode 10. At the beginning, I wasn't too certain how things would go, and now I have what I feel is a pretty good start. I hope you're enjoying the stories and my armchair folklorist commentary. I certainly don't have the credentials of a D.L. Ash Lyman, or the thoroughness of the Brothers Grimm, or anything like that. But in some ways, these stories mean exactly the meaning you take from them. I think that's one fascinating part of this whole thing, and of fiction in general. What I see isn't necessarily what you see. A dozen people will have a dozen thoughts about the same story, and that makes them endlessly retellable. I thought I'd do something different for episode 10, just for fun. Today, I'm reading you a story that was written not centuries ago, but in 2002. It wasn't written by some famous author, and it wasn't written about some legendary person. It was written by a soon-to-be graduate of Marshall University as a part of an electronic music capstone project, and meant to be experienced as a musical composition for computer and alto saxophone, by yours truly. The Brass and Crystal Chamber was a story that I wrote to be a little melodramatic and atmospheric, and somewhere, I can't seem to recall exactly where, there is a musical score and a saxophone part, and I performed it exactly one time for a small audience. I think it was recorded, but I don't recall where that recording ever went. But I do have the story it was all based on. And that's what I'm reading for you today. I'll talk about it after the story, and for once, I have some real inside information. I hope you enjoy the tale. And now, as written by, well, me, in 2002, The Brass and Crystal Chamber. For a long time, she wondered how she would open the lock. The key would have to be enormous, as the keyhole was nearly as tall as her hand was wide. She could pick a lock, she thought. She'd done it before, but there was nothing to pick a lock with. She had only her torch and something to eat. After some apprehension, she decided to feel inside the lock itself— the keyhole, only slightly smaller than her hand, would be a squeeze. She eased her fingers into the darkened keyhole, feeling at first a slight resistance. Some creature had taken up residence in the keyhole and had built his own door. Her hand met with thick webbing, which crunched as she pushed on it. Swallowing the urge to yank her hand out and run, she pushed through the stiff web, her hand went almost completely inside the lock before she had to force it, and with a hard, final pressure, it popped inside. She felt around for the tumblers of the great lock, and her hand slid over the centuries of dust and web. Beneath the web was a substance which must have been lubricant for the lock before, but was now only a dirty, slimy grit. She began working on them with her fingers and clumsily found her way through the first ones. The last two or three tumblers were beyond the reach of her fingers, and she was at a standstill, now trying to think of some way to open the door she was only centimeters from opening. 
In frustration, she banged her other hand on the door, dropping the torch she carried. Only when she expected to hear the clatter of a plastic torch, she heard also a clinking metal sound. Fortunately, she had not broken the torch. It still shined as brightly as it had, now from its place on the ground. The beam illuminated a long, thin brass plate, which must have fallen off of the magnificent door at some point in its past. It lay half under the torch and a thick layer of dust. Bending down and stretching, she managed to reach the plate while still keeping her hand in place inside the door. She slid the plate into the lock, and adjusting her hand placement, she began to move the last tumblers with her newfound lockpick. Feeling the last of the tumblers move, she then gave her hand and the plate a twist, lifting the latch on the door surprisingly quickly. She heard a loud click, and the door came free to open slightly and silently on its hinges. She pulled her hand from the lock, leaving the plate in place and bending to pick up her torch. Breathing deeply, she faced the door. She shined the torch at the crack where the door had opened slightly. And with the door open, there was nothing stopping her from finding out what was on the other side. Carefully, she stepped up to the door and placed her hand on it. Releasing a deep breath, she pushed. The door opened silently and creaked only a little as it came to stop fully open. Her torch illuminated the ground just on the other side of the door. She lifted it toward the middle of the doorway, and the beam came to rest on what looked like a brass mirror, highly polished at one time, but now heavily tarnished. The beam shined into the mirror and was absorbed by its thick dust and dull oxidation. Overcoming her wonder at the mirror, she then began to sweep the beam around the room, locating other objects and curiosities. At once, the beam seemed to shatter into all of its component colors and come to rest on a far wall in a wide rainbow. The beam passed through a large crystal in the center of the room, perched atop a brass pedestal, which, unlike the other brass items in the room, was quite bright. It seemed to have been polished only yesterday. The crystal was clean as well, with no dust upon it. It was upon viewing this crystal that she decided she'd enter the room. She suddenly realized that she already had. Without meaning to, she had taken several steps inside the door. Startled, she turned for the door, only to see it swinging silently closed, slowly, and then faster, until it closed hard, and made a boom which filled the chamber loudly enough that it was nearly painful to the ears. She looked at the door. It locked from the other side only. There would be no picking the lock from the inside. There would also be no opening the door by any other means. There were no visible hinges, holes, or bolts on this side. To top it all, she noticed that she currently examined the door with a torch that seemed to be growing slightly dim. She switched off the torch so she could think without using the rest of her battery. Her back to the great door, she slid down the wall until her knees were nearly touching her lips, and began to wonder how she would ever leave this chamber. There did not seem to be any other doors or passages out of the room, and she just couldn't imagine opening that door she had come through with force, at least not alone. Her adventurous spirit began to diminish as the real possibility of being trapped in the chamber of brass and dying there became evident. She watched her silent tears fall and moisten the fabric of her pants, and as she watched, she noticed that she shouldn't be able to see anything at all, 
and in wonder looked up toward the center of the room. There, the crystal on its pedestal sat, and if she didn't look directly at it, she could see the faintest of glows beginning inside it. It was enough to cast a bit of light throughout the room and seemed to be increasing in brightness ever so slowly. Encouraged, but not certain why, she stood and calmed herself. She began walking toward the crystal, which now illuminated the room well enough for someone to move around without their own light source. The crystal's glow was a light green color and seemed to intensify at her approach. The closer she was, the brighter the glow became. She reached the crystal and wished to touch it, but held herself from it. The crystal seemed to sense her there, glowing warmly and pulsating. When she could no longer contain her curiosity, she placed a finger on the crystal. To her surprise, the crystal spoke. You may leave, the crystal boomed. It was a comforting thought, despite the fact that a disembodied voice had just proclaimed it from within the great crystal. You may leave with one treasure, and one treasure only. It is the only one here of value to me. You have a single chance. Choose the correct treasure, and you may return from whence you came. Choose incorrectly, and you will remain locked inside the brass and crystal chamber until your bones have long since become the dust which covers the floors and lamps and armor. Choose your treasure, and having done so, place your hand upon the door. Should it open, you are free. Should it not, you are mine. Now any trace of comfort was gone. One treasure? One thing? How do you choose the only treasure in a room full of them that will allow you to escape imprisonment? She looked around the vast hall. Jeweled daggers, vases, oil lamps, anything and everything imaginable was here. Her mind raced and she began breathing heavily, losing focus. She sank to the floor next to the crystal on the pedestal. Panicked and frightened, her tears streamed and her chest jerked and heaved unbidden. It seemed there would be no escape. She was certain to choose incorrectly, because she had no way of knowing which treasure would be the one most valued by a crystal in a dark chamber. She lost track of how long she had been sitting there. Tears came and went, and came and went again. Now she sat, stone-faced, looking at the door meters away, and then at the mounds of antiquities, and then at the floor in front of her. During her occasional moments of lucid thought, she reasoned that she would have to at least try to answer the crystal's riddle. After all, not trying was the same as trying and failing in this case. She was in no hurry, though, to take hold of fate. Urgency wasn't the tone that the crystal had taken. Threatening, yes. Foreboding, certainly. But never urgency. She definitely had all the time she cared to use in order to make her decision. She had to wait until the fits of panic and dread had passed so she could think absolutely clearly. Now and again, she allowed herself to think about what the crystal had said. The treasure it most valued in this room? The way it was phrased, there was no denying that the crystal wasn't speaking of money or fortune. The crystal was looking for the thing most valued personally, and that could be anything. Of course, 
This couldn't be the crystal thinking. Surely some other being had enchanted the crystal to say these things. But was the crystal made to say things from this other being's point of view, or to sound as if it were from the crystal itself? She folded the philosophy of it over and over in her mind, never gaining an inch. At last, weary of it, she slept. She had no way of knowing how long she had slept. She woke minutes or maybe hours later. Her stomach growled and she imagined starving to death in the cold room, under the soft glow of the crystal. Clearly she would have to make a decision soon, or she would certainly die in her indecision. She looked about her, trying to think of something that would be valuable beyond all other things. She first looked for gold or silver. She looked for anything other than brass. She tried to seek out precious jewels among the semi-precious stones, a diamond or a ruby among the garnet and quartz. She looked inside many of the countless vessels and urns, but they only contained more of the same. She made her way from the crystal slowly toward the door, searching the mounds of treasure. When she reached the door for the first time, she looked down. Nearly flattened, just away from the threshold of the door was a brown tunic, or what was left of it. Long ago, the person who wore it had wasted away, leaving the leather tunic, jewelry, and a heavily jeweled cup. Diamonds and rubies, to be sure. But had this cup been the one that doomed the long-dead individual to his death here? What did value mean? What did anything mean? What could be here that something as apparently ancient and singular as this crystal would value at all? Brass? Gold? Jewels? They had no meaning here. This was the riddle. She had the most vague thought, and a small pinprick of wisdom in the back of her mind. She thought to herself that, yes, she was beginning to see the answer. Nothing here was valuable, not any more. When she had first come upon the door, her thoughts had been of adventure and perhaps a little fortune. Now her only thoughts were of getting out, getting home, getting away. Away with what? She only wanted to be free of this cursed room. She didn't even want to leave with a memento. Nothing. She wanted no gold, no brass, no gems. She wanted only one thing. Her life. She did not want to die here. She did not want to spend the few remaining days she may have staring into the placid greenish-white light of the crystal in the center of the room. Could that be it? Could the crystal value more than anything else in this room the one thing that she had and it did not? Life. Herself. Her soul. Her freedom. This the crystal did not have. Itself, if it had a self, was trapped here and could never leave. It kept watch over the eons and never left the one room that it was made to guard. This was no test to attain wealth. This was a test to attain perspective, and to realize what was important. Wealth, at least of possessions, was not important, and you could not take it with you, so they said. That must be the answer. She knew what she would try, and made her way toward the great door, empty-handed. She stood in front of the door, and solemnly, slowly placed a trembling hand upon it. A moment passed, and nothing happened. 
There was a very uncomfortable instant where she knew for certain that she was never leaving the room. Then, from the utter quiet, a deep rumble came, sounding far off. It began at the back of the room, and deep within the walls worked its way around to the door where she stood. The rumble moved ever closer until she was positive that the wall and the door would fall on top of her. Then, with no warning, there was a loud click and a dull metallic sliding sound. The door swung easily inward, just as it had done when she opened it. It seemed like forever since she had first entered the room. The door's weight now pushed against the hand she had not moved. Behind her, once more, the crystal's voice echoed calmly. Now you know, young one, what is the true measure of value. You are free, and free you will always be, as long as you remember what to cling to as you live. There is nothing so valuable as life, be it yours or the life of another. Cherish what you are given, and waste it not on greed or the promise of fortune. Live, and love the life you have, the lives of those around you more so. Go now, and do not return. And so she left the dim chamber. She returned home hours later. Always she kept the lesson she had learned close to her. And she taught those she could of what she had learned. It's different reading one of my own stories. I don't know if you've ever showed or performed your own art, but there's something about it that just kind of puts you out there. Despite how critical I am of my college self, I think it's weathered the years pretty well. I think I'm a better writer now, but I'm still not certain I'm a good writer. Anyway, by the way, I couldn't resist throwing in some effects on this one. The crystal's voice just begged for some echo and gravitas. So, the brass and crystal chamber took a pretty simple question. What makes something valuable? And it supposed a situation where the question could be answered, at least in my opinion, with some interesting imagery. I cut my fiction teeth in the 80s with the likes of directors like Spielberg and Lucas and Howard, and authors like Tolkien and Lewis and Jules Verne. I was into swords and sorcery and ancient hidden places and magic and mystery. It bears out to this day in everything from the styles I gravitate toward, to the TV I enjoy, to the words I choose. It's no accident that I call this podcast an audio adventure. I wanted this story to have those things, as many as I could manage. I wanted to create something of a fairy tale, or more accurately, I wanted to visit a place where a fairy tale had happened. Once upon a time, you might say. Our unnamed heroine is just out exploring and ends up finding a bit more than she bargained for. I wanted to leave where she came from and why she was really there sort of vague. I think it's one of the most effective ways to ignite imagination. Leaving much of the story untold lets the reader or listener begin to suppose their own details. And I think that's a wonderful trait of the human mind. It's why... Impressionist paintings are so fascinating to me. The brain fills in so much minute detail that the painter well, simply left up to the observer. So, the questions that arise. How did the girl end up there? 
What's the origin of that chamber and who created it? How old is it? Where is it? I have my ideas, of course, but I'm curious what you think. At the end of the story, I wanted to be sure to drive home the moral, and I did that deliberately to pay homage to many of the fairy tales I'd come across. In a lot of the recorded versions, there are clear, detailed morals, usually just written out by the author in some short rhyme or prose at the end. I put mine into the words of the crystal, but it's the same idea, and I think this moral is pretty sound. All the things in the world are nothing compared to your own life. It's easy to take for granted. But that's plenty for now. Tell me what you think about the brass and crystal chamber. And if you'd like to hear more original work, let me know. I can throw one in occasionally. That's yet another idea to add to my growing list. If you're having fun, be sure to leave me a review and subscribe on your platform of choice. I'm on Apple, Google, and Spotify. Also, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram. I'm at Fado Podcast, And you can also email me at fadopodcast at gmail.com. Send me comments or questions, and I might even be able to read them on the air. If you want to support Fado more directly, you can now become a patron. You can find me on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. There will be behind-the-scenes content, early access to upcoming episodes, and hopefully, merchandise. Also, you'll have the opportunity to participate in the direction of the show. If you join, you'll also get a mention here on the air. Speaking of which, I'd like to say hello and thank you to my first two patrons, Mike Negley and Julie Cooper. Welcome and thank you so much for being a part of Fido. You have my undying and eternal gratitude. All right, that'll do it for this week. Watch for next week's episode coming out on August 2nd. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you once upon a next time. <laughs>